Ray, thank you for taking the time. Uh, since you uh, gave me the book back in October 2021, it took me a long time to read. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's because you, know, you cannot go through the book without reflecting on where do things fit with, with regards to where, where I am living and other, other countries that I observe. And then that experience I went through, it was others who, 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 who also had the same thing, and they, and they asked me, so what does Ray think about where the UAE is, is doing or, our, or other countries who, who are neutral and also uh, want, to do to, uh, who want to do things to, to grow? And that led me to the uh, idea of uh, I'm curious, and I'm sure others would like to also hear that, to ask you to run the research on the UAE, Saudi Arabia, Singapore, and Switzerland, which has also been a reference point for, for a lot of people as the boutique uh, country. So perhaps you know if you can share uh, where these countries fit in that arc. I know that the world is, there is the US, there is Europe, and there is China that covers the, 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 the whole globe. But there are other countries who are working towards making their countries better. Yes, I think what you're referring to <clears throat> is the fact that there are reasons for health, like a human body, and they're measurable. Like um, you just mentioned that you had a physical. Yes. And uh, with your physical, you can almost do the checklist and almost know your life expectancy practically. But there are basics, right? And so the basics are uh, few. Do you earn more than you spend? Are you financially stable? Do you have a good income sheet and balance sheet? Do you work well with each other? So that, or is there internal conflict that is disruptive? Are you at risk of an international war or are you outside of a risk of an international war? These issues are defining issues between countries. But their outcomes go back to basics, such as, most importantly, how do you educate your children? And education, I don't mean just education such as I know my reading, writing, and arithmetic, or I know how to do algorithms or something like that. Education and character development. Does the individual know how to control oneself, to work well with others, civility? Because through those things, good education develops skills, but working well with each other creates both productivity and harmony and makes for a better society. So that produces those finances. Then there are many, 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 many measures that capture these things. And they're captured in surveys that go across countries, such as Attitudes about work. Um, is work, um, do you have a mentality where your sense of accomplishment is a joy and that you're going to work hard? Many countries, it's more of a saver life. 
You know, work hard, save your life. We all have that work-life balance. Corruption. For example, there are corruption indices between countries that show the different corruption levels. There's a negative 54% correlation between the level of a country's corruption and its growth rate over the next 10 years. So there are the, those basic elements. And so when you look at countries that succeed well, it's almost like families that succeed well. You know, um, are they well-educated, well-behaved, do they um, uh, have harmony, do they have those solid values of being productive, or is there corruption and so on? And I'm, deciding, I'm defining success as um, really mostly economic success, I'm measuring it. Some societies might say that there are other measures of success, and then I would use other measures for other measures of success, you know. Um, also, the cost of an educated person. In other words, education matters, but those countries that have educated people working cost-effectively, such as India, are very, very competitive because you can get more value. You can get an educated person more cost-effectively in countries like that. And so when you mention the countries that you're learning, you referred to, um, Abu Dhabi, uh, Saudi Arabia, Switzerland, and Singapore, um, what you're seeing is um, those qualities being exhibited. Now, in Switzerland and in Singapore, they're not blessed with the same natural resources. Um, but they have, um, and so the human capital was particularly important. What's happening in Saudi Arabia and has happened for a long while in uh, the UAE is the um, ability to invest well, to have a highly educated, highly civil population that's very clever, well-educated, and then um, works well together to create the economic miracles. So even though Abu Dhabi has nearly half of its income um, externally from uh, energy, uh, it has developed a very strong non-energy economy. Saudi Arabia is in the process of transforming itself to be, invest a lot more internally, uh, particularly with uh, the new leadership. From our previous conversations, once you, you, you said something interesting, that if you're rich, you have two paths. You could either say, I'm rich, I'm just going to hang out and have a good fun, I don't need to worry about working. Or you, or you say, I'm rich and I want to improve myself and do more things. And so, to me now, uh, the UAE and, 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 and Saudi Arabia have taken that path of, yes, we have, we're rich and we want to improve ourselves. That's right. There's a decadence, okay. meaning a decay, mm -hmm. when you're just living off of your wealth. That's a classic sign <clears throat> that happens late in a cycle. You lose competitiveness, you lose income, you lose wealth as you're depleting the wealth. Um, 
It's really the opposite now that's happening in the UAE and in uh, Saudi Arabia. It is invest in human capital development that invest, make the country greater. So the investments in both of those countries, um, they're, while they're investing outside the country, they're committing a huge amount of their resources to invest inside the country to create infrastructure and talent development, human capital development. Because the greatest capital is human capital, right? So if you invest in human capital, that will also carry on from one generation to another. The parents teaching the next generation to uh, how to be smart and work hard and accomplish those things. Then you have sustainability. And that's what is really, really happening in both of those countries. Uh, and particularly, Saudi Arabia has made enormous leaps in that regard. Uh, openness. Uh, so, you know, when I go back to history, and, and I know that in your book, uh, you, you, you do mention about the Islamic Caliphate system, that the, the height of that is when they went to spread religion, but they really then got, uh, they brought in other civilizations. And in fact, uh, the majority of the scientists un, uh, un, uh, un, uh, under that period were actually non-Arabs. And so when, I, when you move forward to today, you actually see the openness and other characteristics showing up now in these two countries that they're opening up, they want people to come, uh, ownership, come and, and live and share and all of that stuff, which, which to me, it's very much resonates that when you're open and when you meet people, then you get to learn new, uh, new habits and new, new well, ideas. You, you, you get to know the best of the thinking in the world. You know, that was why, um, the reverse of that is why the collapse of China. In other words, in the um, <clears throat> Qing Dynasty, which was, took it through um, in around 1840, it was really the richest country in the world, and it was isolated. And they didn't have the benefit of the other ideas, and the foreign powers came in. <clears throat> and because of that, defeated them over the, and they have what they call the hundred years of humiliation which there was the collapse it ends in 19 really 49 world war ii and then 1949 the, then the prc comes into existence it's the opposite openness to different ideas is what you're referring to and as those measurements um really give um, a good example and, and it's so true what you're saying. I mean, think about uh, the UAE, where 90% of the population is from other places. And you've really created an environment where uh, people from all over have wonderful lives. That they, they're at home, and they feel great about educating their children here. And you have that diversity of thought. So talent magnet. Um, these places have now become talent magnets. And this is particularly true and valuable at a time when there's great conflict in the world. So if you look at the great powers now, if you look at the United States or you look at China right now, um, it's much more difficult environments.
because of some of the reverse sets of circumstances, and also the possibility of, well, there are wars going on between those countries. Um, there's a tech war, there's a trade war, there's a geopolitical influence war, there's an economic and capital war, it could be a military war. Those conflicts that are existing between those countries and some of the problems that they're having in the United States education, internal conflict, financial problems, those types of things create relative advantages for environments such as Singapore, uh, Switzerland to some extent, um, and what we're seeing here um, in the areas that you mentioned, um, the UAE and, um, and the region. Um, and so they become the Renaissance states. Like if you look about where were the Renaissances in history, they were the places where there was great trade and education and they offered a lot of inventiveness and so on. And they were not in the middle of the wars. They almost benefited from the wars. And so um, talent magnets, yes, as you're describing, they're talent magnets, they're bringing these intelligent people, they're educating their populations well, and they're bringing that diversity of perspective to get to take the best of the best. In a world now where there's strategic competition, so the even the ability to use each other's technologies is limited. Right now, um, you, these places have access to different technologies and different ways of thinking, which is a competitive advantage. You mentioned something in the beginning about being civil with each other, which I think, you know, I mean, stability, of course, is very important. So here we, you know, we take it for a given. You don't need to worry about uh, uh, safety if, if things, the, think things are organized. So that idea of being civil with each other, obviously every, every, every society has its own way of dealing with it. You have, a, you have a democracy, you have other versions of a democracy that certain societies want, want to, go, to govern th th themselves. So when, when you study the, 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 these different societies uh, uh, throughout history, so, so the Chinese had their own version of how to be civil with each other. Mm, largely confusion. Okay. Uh, uh, the uh, Spain, when it, when it was an empire, it was a, 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 a monarchy. And that's how they all even... Uh, everybody Portugal. knew how to behave. Yes, everybody knew, 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 knew how to behave. And of course, you know, the, 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 the US or the UK uh, uh, or Great Britain back then, uh, you had the, uh, uh, the checks and balances in the system. So the... Uh, I guess, you know, my, my question is that civil, being civil with each other is an important... Essential. Essential. How you do it, it doesn't have to be a one, a one criteria. No, okay. in many ways. Yes, many ways, yes. Okay. As a matter of fact, in Plato and the Republic gave the cycles of these different types of systems. Um, and there's a threat to each. And that cycle is something like, the great threat to democracy is anarchy. What happens is when people start fighting with each other mm -hmm. and then rule of law is no longer as dominant power, then there's this great conflict that causes 
a revolution or a civil war of types. And then, um, and then in the cycle, then the despot comes to power. And the best was the benevolent despot. In other words, the autocratic leader, mm -hmm. but who puts the population first. He believed that that was the best, okay. you know, put the population, the wise, mm -hmm. and he knew how to put the population, but he provided the leadership. And then history has shown that sometimes um, power corrupts, mm -hmm. and absolute power can corrupt absolutely. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you get then the leader who comes along who is not as strong, not as capable, more self-focused, not as, and then you have another revolution. And that other revolution produces more change. So you see that none of these systems have existed f forever. And each system has more of its time. You know, there's an environment. For example, in an environment of great conflict, you see that um, then you become more autocratic in the leadership because fragmented decision-making in a war, for example, makes for an ineffective side in that war. They're fighting internally as well as externally. So you see that that cycle re revolves. Um, and, um, but you see civility. You see that you can simultaneously work well together and compete. Work well together and compete. And of course, the magic is taking the talented, creative, can-do, entrepreneurial type of person, and I don't mean just in business, maybe it's an entrepreneurial type of person in science, somebody who can imagine the future and make it happen, and get resources to them. So that's one of the reasons that capitalism has been effective as a means of getting, re we're all trying to find who's the smartest person who's then gonna take that and convert that into productivity and, and so on. So capital, rule of law, capital, um, and the talent is the magic ingredient. You take a talented person and you put capital to that talented person and you create an environment that works well, and you have prosperity. I want to go back to, to finances also because you, you, you touched on it at the beginning. So all of these countries, uh, 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 they have their finances in order. Uh, uh, as in, you know, they don't have too much debt. Uh, and also they are earning more than they're spending or, or there is a break even for, for, for the commodity that, 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 that they sell. So that must be also another ingredient that it, allows you. To it's so basic, yeah. Um, look, the, there's no difference between an individual's finances and a country's finances other than the country has the ability to print money. Okay. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only, okay. So if you spend more than you earn, mm. you will produce a debt. A debt must be repaid. Mm -hmm. That'll either be in hard money or in soft money because you print it. And so it's not the same for countries 
the income statement, the balance sheet, is very much like in individuals. If you're earning more than you're spending and you have a good balance sheet, then you have the financial health. If you don't have financial health, then you don't have health because a, a lot of this is all about living standards. <clears throat> and, I mean, what do people want? If you don't provide them with good living standards, you'll have a revolution. So that requires financial health. And the financial health is the same for a country as it is for an individual, except the central banks can print money. Any advice you want to give these countries? Um, I, again, I, want to, I just want to emphasize the basics. The things I mentioned before, earn more than you spend, uh, be civil, rule of law, um, healthy competition, and don't go into an international war, try okay. to stay out okay. of war, mm. okay? Educate your population well, the young people all the way through. Mm. The issue uh, that you refer to in terms of civility, it's difficult when you have to enforce it mm. as distinct from when it exists within the people. You know, okay. it's not necessarily have a stronger police force to deal with criminals. Mm. It's to have an ethics and a way of being within the people that doesn't produce the problems. So it's those fundamental basics, I think, that equal opportunity. Mm. It's funny, you, you watch the dynasties in China. I watched, studied the rise and decline of the dynasties in China and I found um, equal opportunity is very, very powerful because it accomplishes two things. It brings talent from wherever it exists. You can never tell where the talent is going to come from. Mm -hmm. So by having equal, broad-based talent, you have access to greater population of talent. And that means that you're, we're going to have a greater probability of finding the talent that, together with the capital and so on, will make good results. But it also creates a sense that the system is a fair system. Mm. A lot of revolutions take place, and they, they're devastating. A lot of revolutions take place because the people, there's a big wealth gap. And with that wealth gap, they feel the system is not fair. Mm. So when they feel the system is not fair, you get uh, the consequences of internal conflict win at all costs. So we're seeing more of that in the United States now. Right? We're seeing more of the differences in not only economic circumstances, differences in values, and more populism. Classically, populism begins to emerge. And you could tell populism. If there's left and populism of the left and populism of the right. And those are people who say, I will fight and win at all costs. So working it out with the other side is not the primary objective. Getting what they want is the primary objective. And that creates the ingredients of conflict. Conflict produces inefficiency at first, and then it produces you know, worse than that. In summary, um, in summary 
Okay, it's the fundamentals, it's the education, it's the how you are with each other, it's the finances, the balance sheet, it's um, all of the things that through time probably your parents tell you and, and someone you, you've seen through time. Um, the advice that I would give is measure it. Okay, I, like I have 18 measures of these things. It's like a health index. And by measuring, what is your degree of corruption? What is the amount of debt? What is these things, those health indicators? By measuring those health indicators and looking at whether you're improving your health indicators or that they're deteriorating in an objective way, then one has a guide for that. And then beyond that, one has leading indicators. Just like if you go for your annual physical and they, you look at those things and you're a certain age and you're doing certain things, that they can estimate your longevity, the same is true if for, for the country's well-being and your financial well-being. So I would say it's the, those fundamentals we just talked about, but then measured and using self-discipline and knowing also where it exists in the world. You know, yeah. like, why am I here? Mm -hmm. Okay, because the world changes and things change. So know where they are, appreciate them, grow them if you're growing your country, but also find them and appreciate them. So, so, so you really, you, you really want to keep a mark of what's going on and comparing it to, uh, to, to others. So this becomes a guide for all of that. Ray, thank you for taking the time to uh, uh, share your insights on this. Such a pleasure. We've known each other for a long time, and I think we all know these things, you know? Uh, yes, yes, but I think, you know, just the, the fact that you reflected it on a country and then looking across the globe and studying through history, it, to, to me, it, it focuses people's attention, whether, you know, I think it's a policymaker or, 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 or somebody living in a community because these are essentials for a family and, and for a country. Thank you, sir. My pleasure.